0: Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to hundred dollars. Just visit PrizePicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at PrizePicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to Red Inca on 99.94, the home of cricket audio. Download our app for all our podcasts and commentaries. Our shows include Double Century on the history of the game. West Indies on 99.94 is cricket's best Caribbean coverage. India on 99.94 has considered analysis from two professionals. England on 99.94 has the north and south of the game covered. South Africa on 99.94 is a forensic look at cricket in the Rainbow Nation. And Sri Lanka on 99.94 is our newest member. Find them all where you listen to podcasts or YouTube or just download our app. Welcome to Red Inca, which is part of the 99.94 Network. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca, I look at the history of South African cricket and major events. Bring your tissues.
0: Have been the difference between a world cup final kuzner on strike there it is they go this will be out surely oh it's out it's to be run out oh that's it south africa out donald didn't run i cannot believe it australia going to the world cup final ridiculous running with two balls to go kuzner hitting it hard into the pitch here he comes allen donald look he's going back to his grease the throw misses fleming gets it he hasn't even got a bat here's the throw. gilchrist won't fumble Quinton
1: de Kock was smashing the ball everywhere against Zimbabwe. He was clearly on a mission. South Africa weren't really fighting their fellow African nation. They had already destroyed them. They were just trying to beat the Hobart weather. And in truth, you could see that they were always losing that battle. This game probably shouldn't have gone ahead. No World Cup match should be played in conditions this wet, The South African bowlers could barely grip the ball in the second part of their effort. It had continued to rain, and quite heavily at this point, and the Zimbabweans could barely stand up on parts of the field. QDK, for everything that he could do, hit the ball as hard as he could, hoping he could beat the rain. No one actually knew what any of this meant at that point. South Africa still had a lot of games to go. Yes, if Pakistan had a brilliant tournament from then on in, it could cause problems for South Africa. But as Pakistan lost to Zimbabwe themselves, this game was kind of discarded. And now it looks like another match that cost them a crack at the World Cup. The umpires did try and push this result far beyond where they ever should have. The ICC clearly wanted a result as much as South Africa did. And eventually it took... Zimbabwean captain Sean Williams turning to the umpire and saying, this is a World Cup. That was enough to eventually make the umpires realise that this was just not fit conditions. It was not a game that should ever have gone ahead. You could almost argue it maybe never should have started. But that comment means something else as well. For South Africans, it's almost spine-chilling. South Africa were actually part of the reason that the ICC exists. In order to have a triangular tournament between England, Australia and South Africa, they formed the Imperial Cricket Conference, or as we now call it, the International Cricket Council. They were terrible in that first ICC event. They had two 10-wicket losses and another game they lost by an innings. There was one match where they did a little bit better. Against Australia, or at least a second-string Australia, as the first-string team didn't actually make it out because they were essentially on strike, they managed 329, the South Africans, on what was a soaking wet pitch. The following day, they dismissed them for 219 runs, giving themselves a healthy lead. The third and final day, not a single ball was delivered because there was rain. We think about South Africa's bad form and luck in World Cups, starting in 1992, No, you have to go back to 1912 to see where this all began. But 1992 was, of course, something else. South Africa were chasing an improbable total of 22 runs of the final 13 deliveries in the World Cup semi-final against England. They had been a little bit behind the rate for quite some time, but the partnership at the crease of Brian McMillan and Dave Richardson had already scored 25 from 18. However, 22 from 13 that was required was still big cricket money. When they came back out, however, after the rain break, they needed 22 runs still. Now it was off a single ball. It was made even more bizarre by the fact that South Africa had to go out and face that ball anyway, with the new equation slapped up on the screen. This actually would help change the playing conditions of cricket, and it's really what led to us starting to use the Duckworth-Lewis method. Of course, The very interesting thing about that is that even had the Duckworth Lewis method been used at that time, South Africa still would not have been able to win the game. But because it looked so silly and it was up on the big screen, and Brian McMillan was so upset, he became the poster boy for the first South African loss. Sadly, there's been quite a few since then. In 1999, South Africa were an absolute machine when it came to ODI cricket. They were actively changing the game by using Alan Donald as a first-change bowler and Lance Kluzner playing T20 cricket before we'd even invented it. Their record coming into that World Cup was as dominant as any team has ever been, even more so than Australia, who would go on to win three World Cups on the bounce. And it was Kluzner who was smashing Australia all around that World Cup semi-final. And it was Australia who was panicking and choking all over the place until South Africa got the scores level, And they needed one more run to win. And for some reason, Kluzner suddenly changed the way he was batting. And in the space of two balls, Australia had two separate run-out chances. They missed the first, and they got the second. Four years later, in the next World Cup in 2003, South Africa only went and tied again. They were hosting their first World Cup. It was a huge moment for cricket in that region. And South Africa found themselves in a must-win rain-hit game against Sri Lanka. There was a lot of pressure. If you don't believe me, here is Kumar Sangakkara explaining just how much pressure there was. Oh, it's lots of pressure here for the skippy, eh?
0: Gonna let his whole country down now if he fails. Oh, lots of expectations, fellas. Come on. Oh man, the
1: weight of all these expectations, fellas. Weight of the country, chaps. 42 million supporters right here, depending on Sean. But it was Mark Boucher who was facing Murley. He smacked the wet ball for six, and he looked completely on top at that stage. And to get ahead of the DLS, which, as we've already mentioned, South Africa inspired the use of, Boucher just needed a single. Instead, they misunderstood the DLS. And they thought by being equal, they were actually in front in the game. So off the last ball of that over, Boucher defended And the scores remained tied, and South Africa were out of their home World Cup before the second round, basically before the serious stuff had even begun.
0: NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team, even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games, no matter where you live, because you shouldn't have to change teams, even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription
1: auto renews. In the quarterfinals of the 1996 World Cup, they dropped Alan Donald for their spinner, Paul Adams. Brian Lara absolutely destroyed them, while their best bowler sat on and could only watch. Lara particularly went after Adams, who wasn't quick enough through the air and allowed Lara to just get on top of him. Eventually, Adams would be yanked from the attack. Lara would make hundred, and when he was finally out, Adams would come back onto bowl at the end. South Africa batted well; it just wasn't enough. In 2011, they kept New Zealand to only 221 runs in their quarterfinal, and their batting lineup included Hashem Amla, Graeme Smith, Jacques Kallis, AB de Villiers, and Faf du Plessis. Amla hit a ball onto the keeper's foot, only to be caught at slip. But outside of that, it was really just the Kiwis keeping the pressure on them brilliantly. So much so that Kyle Mills and other players who weren't even playing for New Zealand, when they went out to take drinks, started sledging the South Africans as they batted. It was remarkably easy to see how New Zealand just kept all that pressure on them, and South Africa just completely wilted. Shall we move on to the T20 World Cups? Let's start with the fact that they have the third best win-loss ratio in the history of T20 World Cups, and they have never even made a final. Every other team with an above 50% win percentage, except for New Zealand, has won a tournament. And to be fair to New Zealand, they have at least made the final. In 2014, South Africa got to the semi-finals where they played India. They set 173 and Virat hit 72 from 44. They didn't even need all of the last over India to win that one. In 2009, South Africa won every single match in the early rounds and then met Pakistan in the semi-finals. They had to chase 150 and despite losing only four wickets, they never really got in front as Callis and JP Dumini batted for a long time but never particularly that fast. But mostly they ran into Shahid Afridi. He was playing T20 cricket when there was no T20 cricket. And that is not even including the many other T20 World Cups, or World T20s as they were at that time, that they never even made it that far for. And since we're looking at other tournaments, why not the Champions Trophy? In 2002, they made the semi-final. This time, Vrindar Saewag and Yuvraj Singh made runs, and they set 262. South Africa were 192 for 1 in the chase when Herschel Gibbs retired from exhaustion. Sadly, not long after that, the rest of the South African team collapsed in a cricket sense. 2004 Champions Trophy, group stage, a one day out that was played over two days. And on the second, the West Indies were fighting hard when Sean Pollock was bowling the 47th over. He was hit for 19 runs by Ricardo Powell and the West Indies went on to win that one. 2006 Champions Trophy, semi-final, they batted first to make 258. Chris Gale would go up against Sean Pollock and smash him out of the attack. He would go on to make 100 and the West Indies would win easily. 2009 Champions Trophy. Group stage. England made 323 against them, well before they really did that kind of thing. South Africa batted well, but when Smith went out, they lost by 22 runs. 2013 Champions Trophy. Semi-final. Before the game, South Africa made a huge point of saying that they were going to move on from the choking thing. The next day, they lost 8 for 80. And who made the runs for England? The South African-born Jonathan Trott. 2017 Champions Trophy, group stage. The world's number one ODI side started fine against India in a must-win match. Then they had three runouts, and they lost eight for 51. Faf Duplessis ran out Davilias and Miller, and he would make a 50-ball 36. India chased that total easily. I think I need to be really honest here. I would never want to give the Champions Trophy too much credit. I personally do not see it as a major event. Almost no team's planned for it. It got cancelled a couple of times, has had three different names that I know of. It's really a good tournament that's on when it's on, but no one cares about it that much. The term major is really being stretched when we're talking about the Champions Trophy. But I mention all that because of how many times they made the finals and knockout games in that particular tournament as well, and it still never went anywhere. And I haven't mentioned every single time where something went wrong, just because This would actually go on forever if I just listed all the different ways in which South Africa have struggled in these major tournaments. I want this to be an autopsy, but let's be honest, it's probably more like uh, a checkup. I can't look under the hood of the many, many different things that led to each specific exit just because they've had so many exits, and there almost never seems to be one reason why they are out of the tournament. It always seems to be an accumulation of random things that when they happen at the time, you don't even think to yourself, well, this is a reason that they're going to go out. But there is something else that I really want to mention here. South Africa had the best record in limited overs cricket in the history of the game. Their win percentage is better than Australia over T20 and ODIs. In fact, it is better than everyone's in cricket history if you look at odi cricket there is not a team with a better than 50 percent win record against them they just roll through bilateral cricket like white ball godzilla the minute the icc slaps a logo or something on the front of a tournament south africa completely fall apart and if you want proof of this well here's the strongest thing i can give the south africans have won a single major multi-team event i think it's major well, we're going to throw it in for now anyway. The Commonwealth Games, in which the matches were not official ODIs, and it also was not an ICC event. Do you see what I'm saying? You take off the ICC, and suddenly the 110 years of history fades away, and South Africa are just suddenly the best team in limited overs cricket again. Oh, but I did leave one win off the list. In 1998, they won the Wills International Trophy. It was the one and only event of its name. The next year, it would be the ICC knockout. The following time, I think it had already changed to the Champions Trophy. So even if you want to argue that the Champions Trophy is a major event, which it is clearly not, the Wheels International was certainly not a major event or anything like that. For instance, to win this, South Africa only had to be successful in three games. It counts as an ICC tournament barely, and it's certainly not major. But if you're the most successful white ball cricket team of all time on a per-game basis, then it's pretty weird that after all of that time, your South African cabinet has only a Commonwealth gold medal and a tournament that no longer even exists. But let's get back to the major tournaments, because you may have noticed that I left the 2015 one off. And I suppose we better get there, because in that semi-final, against New Zealand, South Africa chose to bat first, despite the fact that the New Zealand clouds were coming in. It's not the worst sin in the world, and they still actually went on to send a pretty reasonable target. And there was even a South African who would hit the winning runs. He just wouldn't play for their side. When Grant Elliott was 12, he wrote down that he wanted to play in a World Cup final. That dream was, of course, for his birth nation. Unfortunately, his dream became South Africa's nightmare. Elliot was a Halteng player who never quite made it. He was good enough to play professionally for a few South African first-class teams, but he wasn't a mainstay, and his career probably would have been fairly limited there. So he moved to New Zealand in 2001, and it took him seven years to make his debut for New Zealand. By that stage, he had developed as a person and a cricketer. And he would end up a good enough player to send his own home nation out of a World Cup. And a week later, when his adopted home New Zealand failed, he stood up again and was the top scorer. So here's a South African man who was good enough to top score for New Zealand in the World Cup and also send South Africa home. How do you unwrap this as a South African fan? And of course, we know that it kind of happened again against the Netherlands. Colin Ackerman made runs. He's barely made a run all the way through the two World Cup campaigns for the Netherlands and then makes runs against, well, South Africa. Brandon Glover, who's been in and out of the side, comes in to play against South Africa and he takes wickets, both born in South Africa. And then you have David Miller at the crease, South Africa's last hope. He gets a short ball from Glover, he swings it away, gets a top edge, and Roloff van der Merva chases it out towards the boundary. He dives, takes the catch, and is ecstatic. It's not the first game that Miller has ever been dismissed in a match with Roloff van der Merva's fielder. In a 2014 first-class match in South Africa, van der Merva ran out Miller. At that stage, they are just two South African professional cricketers, both hoping to still play for South Africa. They both already represented their nation as well, because Roloff Van der Merwe played twenty six times for South Africa from two thousand and nine to two thousand and ten, and his next major impact against South Africa in the World Cup is taking the catch that sends his nation out of it, and of course. It wasn't just this moment. That's what we were talking about before. With South Africa, it's never usually one moment. It's the accumulation of them. When you peel back, it wasn't just about Grant Elliott. There was the Vernon Philander thing. Before Mark Boucher misunderstood DLS, South Africa was already playing poorly. They were behind in the game in 1992 as well, and they struggled in an earlier game against Australia in 1999. It's always more than one thing, but there's always something. At this World Cup, it was the Netherlands beating South Africa. But before that, it was the unrelenting rain in Hobart. And then it was also Shadab Khan's counterattack, followed by, again, more rain. And it's incredible to think that the Netherlands scored their first decent score across two World Cup campaigns, and it just happened to be against South Africa right when they needed a win. But of course it was, because this is what always happens. This is a multi-generational, multi-format hoodoo that includes rain, mass, rogue South Africans, 12 Men's Sledgy, comedy runouts, and kind of everything else. It isn't one thing. It's the entire ICC system that seems to be against them. But the one constant is the world's best ever bilateral limited oversight has no major silverware. As Sean Williams said, this is a World Cup. And so, of course, South Africa is going home. But that they lose is one thing. How they lose is another. And I want to look a little bit at the joyful Zimbabwe fans of this World Cup. This is a team celebrating its culture through its team being at the World Cup. India was smashing them everywhere and their fans were dancing and partying. They didn't come to the World Cup thinking Zimbabwe was going to win it. How could they? The last time that Zimbabwe was a proper threat, to any teams was probably the 1999 world cup when they made the quarterfinals and neil johnson played an incredible game against the australians that's not why the zimbabwean fans were there they were there just to support their country they have a different relationship to cricket and to their team than south africa does south african fans do expect their team to win their rugby team has won the world cup their cricket team let's not forget has been the number one ranked test team as well They are expecting something better. And also, unlike Zimbabwe, they're winning outside the World Cups. They are building up to these moments. And so it makes me think that even if one day South Africa do win a World Cup, will the fans be able to enjoy it? Because there's just been such a long build-up. And all these little random things that have happened to them to send them out of all these different tournaments... They're going to be playing on the mind of any South African fan. At this stage, it's inherited sadness to be a South African fan. It doesn't matter if you're a young fan, the stories are going to be passed to you. And when you watch a World Cup, even if South Africa are playing incredible cricket, there will be times when you will be sitting there as a South African fan waiting for it to end. And so even when you win a World Cup, you won't have the normal joy that another fan will have. When I was a kid, South Africa was the team I hated the most. I was a young Australian fan, and I think I thought that South Africa was the only team that had the chance of taking the crown away from Australia. And when I started my blog, I kept that going as a joke. In fact, if you read, most of the most disgusting and terrible things I wrote about any cricket team were either New South Wales or South Africa. Beyond the the blog, I actually lived with South Africans. I had many friends from there. It was the first country that I actually wanted to visit as a kid, but I didn't really warm to them as a team. As a cricket writer, though, I've got to know so many of their players and media and just fans in general, and I just enjoy covering them. I loved seeing them have success as a test-playing nation, and I've also enjoyed, even in a macabre way at times, the way they have managed to play in World Cups, this incredible commitment to a bit at a certain point. But it does just make me think how a South African fan would be able to cope with this anymore. It's such a weird environment to be in. Because this is a team that gives their fans more than enough to believe in while also making it really, really clear that any actual belief is foolish. You shouldn't actually believe in the South African team going to the World Cup anymore. Losing is a normal thing. You can support a team that loses a lot and you can support a team that wins a lot and occasionally loses really badly and loses a lot and occasionally wins magnificently. How do you support a team that is the undeniable bilateral kings of white ball cricket over generation after generation after generation, knowing that When it actually matters, when you really care about the result, when the whole world is watching, your team is going to lose. And as I said, that they lose is one thing. How they lose is another. It is just heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak for South African fans. And for the players, that inherited sadness is even stronger for them. Even players who've never choked in a game are going to play for South Africa Hear that word, and it's just going to ring different in their ears than it does for any other cricketer.
0: Confirming what we've thought to be true for some time now. So that's going to need 22 runs off this one ball. And somehow, I don't think that's possible. what supporters will be delighted, but the disappointing end to a wonderful semi-final. In comes Chris Willis to ball, the final delivery pushed away to mid-wicket. You can see that all the players are disappointed with that end. The crowd will roar here at the Sydney Cricket Ground. So at the end, the team and disappointing finish to a wonderful match.
1: Thanks for listening to Red Inca on 99.94. For more information about us, go to 99.94dm.com Remember to download our app or just search for West Indies, India, England, South Africa, and Sri Lanka with the search term 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. Also, support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCarriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia, and Meda Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by the Red Cricket.
0: Podcast Network.